Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you live this morning from the Herbert W. Armstrong College campus here in Edmond, Oklahoma. It is Friday, January 29th, and we are now nine days into what is called the Joe Biden presidency. There are some indications that none of this might even be real or that it could end any day, but at least for now, we have seen I think it's already over 40 executive orders. This coming from someone who said, if you rule by executive order, you're a dictator. But never mind that, now that he's in office, that's exactly what he's doing. Well, because of what is going on right now, I thought it would be important to look back at what Philadelphia Trumpet Editor-in-Chief Gerald Flurry has been saying about President Donald Trump since even before he was elected the first time at a Feast of Tabernacles site in Florida in October 2016, he said he believed that Mr. Trump would win that election. This was in spite of the media guaranteeing that Hillary Clinton would defeat him. I think it's definitely worth noting that Mr. Tr- Mr. Flurry was correct about that. And now that he has said Mr. Trump would win the 2020 election and that he would remain president, do we give weight to that? Do we really try to look beyond the surface level seeming reality that surrounds us right now? to what might really be going on. Those are technically two different predictions. Winning the election, it is overwhelmingly obvious at this point that Mr. Trump won the election, but it seems like he did not remain the president, even though he won the election in a landslide. There was obviously a mountain of fraud that got in the way. So do we believe the one prediction and somehow discard the other? Or do we rely on a track record of three decades of accurate forecasts based on the Bible by Mr. Flurry, backed up by another five-plus decades of accurate forecasts based on the Bible by his predecessor, the late Herbert W. Armstrong? What is really going on here? Now, when we actually go through what Mr. Flurry has said about President Trump, we also can easily dispel the notion that the Philadelphia Church of God is somehow partisan or pro-Trump. All you really have to do to disprove that is read chapter one of the booklet, Great Again. It's free at thetrumpet.com. 
titled Who is the Modern Day Jeroboam? A lot of condemning things said about this president. Now, it's hard to balance what the Bible says, which in some ways does condemn Mr. Trump, with some of the results he's also gotten. We do have to acknowledge that he's done a lot of great things. He is, I would say, objectively one of the best presidents America has ever had, if you actually just judge by the results. But at the same time, the Bible warns him and corrects him. And it's a message that he's about to hear. He'll be unable to avoid it very soon. This church is going to have to tell him that he's relying too much on himself and not giving the credit to God. Everything going on in America right now, everything going on in the world right now, actually revolves around what is happening in this little church, in the Philadelphia Church of God, in the work this church is doing. It is extremely humbling to think about that. But even the prophecies regarding a great end-time president of America completely revolve around God's church. We'll see that today. So it's not just that we want to focus on one specific leader. We're not trying to overly praise him, but we do want to acknowledge some of the positives. Ultimately, there has to be a pretty hard warning delivered to him. But that's the focus. The focus is on God's church in relation to this modern day Jeroboam. Amos chapter 7. This is the foundational prophecy in your Bible regarding an end time leader in America who really does lead a resurgence right when the country was on the verge of collapse. Amos 7, starting in verse 7, says, Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord stood upon a wall made by a plumb line with a plumb line in his hand. And the Eternal said unto me, Amos, what see you? And I said, A plumb line. Then said the Lord, Behold, I will set a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not again pass by them any more. So this is talking about a plumb line, which is used in measuring a building or in construction, as Mr. Fleury explains here in the booklet, Great Again. And in this case, God is actually meticulously measuring out destruction against America. Mr. Fleury writes, this destruction is not random. God is measuring it carefully and precisely and it will bring about the most wonderful results imaginable. You see, that shows how merciful God really is. He could just open the heavens and rain down every type of biblical plague and curse and absolutely wipe us out 
a million times over. But he's actually looking to get real results. He only wants to correct to the point that is necessary to where every last individual will have a real chance to repent. Now, some people will still not repent no matter what happens. But the vast majority of all mankind will end up repenting because God will mete out the exact amount of punishment needed for each person. Each person will only suffer the exact amount necessary before he or she determines to repent and return to God. God doesn't want to punish, but he's waited for 6,000 years, and we still haven't turned back to him. Our civilizations have failed catastrophically, repeatedly, and yet we still haven't turned back to him. What is God supposed to do? He wants a relationship with us. He wants to give us a tremendous reward. He wants us to be part of his family. Yet most people just will not accept that awesome future just yet. Most people will not accept their own failures just yet. So God is measuring out this destruction And it's all in this context of a modern-day Jeroboam. It says again, Amos 7, verse 8, I will not again pass by them anymore. So there's one last warning from God's work, from God's man, in the context of this Jeroboam end. God does give us a timeline, a time frame of prophetic events. And in this Jeroboam end, This one last warning, even the leader of America will have to acknowledge God's truth. Even if he doesn't accept it or make any changes based on it, he'll have to acknowledge the existence of this message and he'll have to respond to it in some way. That's pretty exciting. To be a part of that, has this ever happened in history? Has this prophecy ever taken place in real life up to this point? Just think logically about America right now. How much longer could it possibly last with all the hatred and violence and division? What better time than right now for this prophecy to be in the process of being fulfilled. Like Mr. Flurry writes here, God gives us checkpoints in Bible prophecy. The time of the end, Daniel 12, verse 4. The last end, Daniel 8, verse 19. And the last hour, 1 John 2, verse 18. This prophecy occurs in the Jeroboam time frame, or we could say the Jeroboam end, the last time God will pass by with his message. God will not bring this warning to his people again. The Jeroboam time is going to be the last time. 
And notice the hostile response to this message. Here is this great false religious leader speaking on behalf of Jeroboam. Amos 7 verse 10. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam king of Israel saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. Amaziah is saying, we can't handle this. This is negativity. This is not allowed. There was a really great segment on the Trumpet Hour the other day with Mr. Joel Hilliker. You can go back at thetrumpet.com or at kpcg.fm and listen to that episode from Wednesday. Talking about free speech and how basically it is already gone in America. It pretty much doesn't exist anymore. Now think about what just happened with this election, how it was blatantly stolen, and how so much of that stealing was blotted out by the media. When all of that gets exposed, when Mr. Trump comes back publicly into the office of the presidency, do you think he might have something to say about what the media did to him? Do you think he might take harsh action against these media outlets? Perhaps against anyone who says anything that he believes to be false about him? I cringe to think of the PCG being lumped in with CNN, but what if that does happen? It seems like we're pretty on a pretty clear trajectory to that happening where the modern Jeroboam will say this land, this great nation cannot handle your negative message, your message that commands us to repent or else we'll face destruction. It's just interesting to think about these things. Here, Mr. Flurry writes, At the time of the end, Jeroboam is going to be laden with problems and difficulties. Isn't that true? Despite leading this incredible resurgence, hasn't he been relentlessly attacked and threatened by his political foes on a daily basis? The amount of times he's been lied about and slandered are beyond is beyond calculation. But it says here, Mr. Flurry continues, but his biggest problem is going to be the message of God coming out of this organization. Our message is going to plague him. This is what people in this land are going to fear most of all. God is forcing them to face the warning message of their own destruction. This is a problem Jeroboam never saw coming. So you see there, God does not always just say positive things about Mr. Trump. Elsewhere in this chapter, Mr. Flurry says, there's a certain message coming from the Republicans. There's a certain message coming from the Democrats. And yet the only message that really matters 
is the one that says, Thus says the Lord, the message coming from us. Pretty incredible to think about. Mr. Flurry writes, and great again, for God to save them, our people must repent. Do you see evidence of that happening? I do not. We need a leader who will cause our people to embrace the living God, not a puny, helpless man. This modern-day Jeroboam fights for many good causes, but in the process, he gets people to look to him as the solution, not the omnipotent, all-powerful God. This is the great deception and the great sin. It's important to make the distinction, too. Obviously, there were two King Jeroboams anciently. Mr. Trump is called the modern-day Jeroboam. There are elements of both of those ancient kings that he is replicating today. The first King Jeroboam actually set up an entire false religious system. You can see evidence of that in Amos chapter 7, too, the end-time fulfillment of this. Amos 7 says, this is Amaziah speaking to Amos, but prophesy not any again anymore at Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. So the king's chapel indicates that there will be an entire false religious system surrounding Mr. Trump, giving him a lot of his power. And that certainly happened with the evangelical movement. It's been fascinating to see all the pictures of religious leaders surrounding Mr. Trump at a meeting, and they all lay hands on him at the same time, and they pray over him. In some ways, it's pretty inspiring, knowing that with what little amount of biblical understanding they have, they are trying in some ways to do the right thing. They are, in some ways trying to look to God or at least show that they're looking to God. But it's a false religion. It's a powerless religion. It's a religion that does not get answers from God. And it's a religion that's not going to lead the country anywhere good at all. It's the type of religion that will heap too much praise on the one leader and think of him as the real savior of the nation instead of giving the actual credit to God. Anciently, King Jeroboam I tried all he could to turn the Israelites away from the house of David. That was the worst thing he ever did. This was right after King Solomon. King Solomon's sins led to the nation of Israel being split in two. You had the nation of Israel led by Jeroboam, and you had the nation of Judah, led by Rehoboam. Jeroboam didn't want all of his people, his ten tribes, going down to the, Ju the Judean city of Jerusalem to continue their religious worship. So he set up his own system in Samaria, in the Israelite city of Samaria, he changed the times of the holy days. He set up false gods. He handpicked the priest, the priesthood,
from among the lowest of the people, practically almost like picking pagans or criminals to be the priests of his new religion. You can see all of this in 1 Kings 12. Mr. Flurry writes, he rigged the system so he could lead the people and keep them away from the house of David. That was his great sin. Meanwhile, the true religious system to this day is talking about the key of David, is upholding God's promises to King David. God promised King David that his throne, his kingly line would last forever. And ultimately, at the end of that line, ruling the universe forever is Jesus Christ. That's the most inspiring vision in the whole Bible. The key of David, the very key that Jeroboam got the people distracted from. Mr. Flurry writes here, do you hear religions today talking about the key of David? How many traditional Christians who say they believe the Bible do you know who talk about and understand the key of David? It seems strange to them. The key of David is about a lot more than a man. It is the most important message in the Bible. This is the key that explains the house of David. It is the ultimate, all-inclusive message, the only message that Christ gave to his church in this end time. Yet, most people reject it just like Jeroboam did. Isn't that amazing? They are following the spirit of Jeroboam. So Jeroboam the first, you can see in 1 Kings 11 and 12, I believe it is, where he set up that false religious system. He had a lot of talent. He did some good things. And yet he's mainly remembered for rebelling against God. Then you have Jeroboam the second. So Jeroboam the first was in the 900s BC, not too long after King David, right after King Solomon, pretty much. And then the second King Jeroboam was in the 800s BC. And this, this king was directly used by God to save Israel and delay their destruction. 2 Kings 14, verses 26 through 27. For the Eternal saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter. For there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. And the Eternal said not that he will blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. So this is King Jeroboam II this time. This is a satanic force that exists to this day, trying to blot out the name of Israel, trying to completely erase the key of David message. And God responds by bringing a worldly type of a king on the scene in this end time, a type of King Jeroboam II. This king had his sins, he had his faults, and yet God raised him up as a savior for America in this end time. King Jeroboam II followed in the same religious system established by King Jeroboam I. 
So you can basically see evidence of both ancient King Jeroboam's in Mr. Trump today. But I do think it's important to remember that distinction between those two ancient kings. Finally, again, just remember that all of this revolves around God's work. It all revolves around giving this message one last chance to get out to this people before it's all over, before it's too late, before the correction comes. There's always a warning before the punishment. Amos 3 talks about that. Verse 7 talks about God always revealing his secrets to his servants, the prophets, and then he acts. Then he punishes. But he has so much mercy first. He wants to warn. Before the modern nations of Israel are torn apart, he wants to warn them. He wants to help them. But there will be a time when it's too late to save our physical lives. Too late to repent and save ourselves physically. But there will still be chances after that. One more, another chance after that. Because God is really just so patient. Mr. Flurry writes here, When we see this world race to its own destruction before our eyes, we know that a new world is almost here. Yes, there are difficult prophecies ahead, but they all lead directly to the return of Christ. So just remember that election forecast. Mr. Flurry was right in 2016. Just wait and see about the 2020 election forecast. We've never seen such blatant election stealing like we have before. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. But we do know examples in the Bible where illegitimate rulers were very quickly toppled. God said David ruled for 40 years. He didn't say he ruled for 39 or 38 years. Then there was a break because of Absalom and Adonijah rebelling against him. And then he finished off his kingship later. Think about those examples. Think about these prophecies. And above all, just remember God's work and the role of this work in all of these prophecies. All of these prophecies are centered around God's message reaching the entire world. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.